Welcome to Closer to God Today, the evangelistic ministry of Reverend Jack Cayley. Our hope is that people draw close to God by coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, here's your host, Jack Cayley. Well, dear friends, here we are once again with this opportunity to look into God's Word and to be with each other, to think about what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has to say to us. And we want to get right at that. First of all, as we think about looking into the Bible and seeing what God says, we need to pray. For nothing happens unless the Lord causes it to happen. So let's ask him about what we're about to do. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, as we think about what it means to walk as Jesus walked, we ask that you'll give us an openness and a receptivity to what you have to say to us, that we might not be in a state of rejection, that we might not argue with you, that we might not rationalize, but that we would hear you and understand exactly what you have for us, what you want us to do, what you want us to be. So Lord, Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us to walk as Jesus walked. By the way, this tape comes to you free of any charge. It's a love gift from Closer to God today. If you want to reproduce this tape in any way, send it to somebody. Use it for Bible studies or whatever. You may do so. We're just interested in getting this word out to as many people as we possibly can. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from 1 John, 2nd chapter, 1 through 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. And He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Well, there it is, that sixth verse. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, or some of the scriptures, uh, renditions say, he who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And with these words, John gives us the key that opens the door to a full, rich, 
blessed life. You know, everybody wants a full, rich, blessed life. I never did meet anybody who ever said to me, you know, Jack, I just want to be miserable all my life. So let's look at this. I say this for three reasons. The best life is one which is powerful in prayer. Walking as Jesus walked or abiding in Christ is the way to power in prayer. When Christians pray, conditions change. When you exercise your privilege of prayer, God does something. Jesus says, <clears throat> if you abide in me, notice the condition there, abide in him. And my words abide in you. Then you may ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. So the best life is one in which there is a powerful prayer life. Secondly, the best life is one which is characterized by good works and the reproduction of other Christians. We're to be kind to others. We're to lend a hand to the less fortunate. Jesus says, you know, to one group, he said, I never did know you. You talked a lot, but you never did anything. You never did feed the poor, clothe those who didn't have clothes. You just lived for yourself. You talked about me, but I never did know you. And then, of course, even more importantly than that, is that we're in the reproduction business. The reproducing of other Christians. So the best life is the life which is powerful in prayer, but which also manifests itself in the works that Christ did. Jesus describes this as the fruitful life. And he says this fruitful life is only possible to those who abide in him. I am the vine, he says in John 15, 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've thought a lot about that. For apart from me, and I always put my name in there, apart from me, Jack, you can do nothing. Does that mean I can't accomplish anything? It means this, I can't accomplish anything of lasting eternal value unless the Lord Jesus Christ throws his weight behind it, unless the Holy Spirit is in it. Unless it is of God, nothing lasts. Now, a lot of people don't want to hear that. They don't believe that. They don't want to believe that. I'm not saying this. You're not saying this. God's Word is saying this. You may want to mark this in your Bible, John 15, 5. I am the vine, 
you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the best life is a life that's powerful in prayer. It's a life that, is manifest, that manifests good works, that reproduces other Christians. And thirdly, the best life is one in which there is a deep felt joy. The Christian life is characterized by joy. Jesus said that real joy comes to those who abide in him. In John 15, 11, for instance, these things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy, notice whose joy? His joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Then if I want the rich, blessed joy that I'm seeking out of life, and everybody is, well, let's just take that as a given, everybody wants joy, then I'm going to have to get it from Jesus. Jesus says there's no place else from which it can come. I have these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Well, what does it mean to abide in Jesus Christ or to remain in Jesus Christ? To withstand in Jesus Christ? To endure in Jesus Christ? To wait in or to live in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking into. And if we abide in Christ, we withstand all of life with him, endure all things with him, live always in him. According to our text today, the proof that we are abiding in him or remain in him or enduring in him is that we walk as Christ walked, that we live as he lived. The test of our abiding in him is our daily conduct. It's always been. John says, he who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That is, our walk and our talk ought to be the same, not something different. If we walk, if we live, as Jesus walked, we are abiding in him. If we do not walk as he walked, we're not abiding or remaining or enduring in him. So now we're faced with two questions. And these two questions will take up the time on this study. Question one how did Jesus walk? Question two, am I walking as Jesus walked? Well, how did Jesus walk? How did he live his life? I don't think we need to guess at this at all. We can turn to the Word of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus walked the dusty roads of Galilee as any other man walks them. Let's take a look at this Jesus as far as his character was concerned. 
although he was a man, he was the son of God. In Luke 1, 32 to 35, we hear these words. Speaking of Jesus, the angel speaking to Mary, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So that's what he is. He is the Son of God, yet he was also a man. We have this proof also in the Scriptures. Matthew 1.1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 18 of that same chapter, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So you have in this Jesus of Nazareth, who asks us to be just like him, you have both man and God. Now that's a paradox. And the paradox is unexplainable, but it is a fact. How can one be both man and God in the same person? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus Christ was and who he is. As a man, he experienced the same feelings, the same temptations, the same frustrations, the same joys that anyone who's listening to this tape experiences. All these daily, sometimes mundane things that you and I have in our lives, Jesus Christ didn't walk in any manner that you and I cannot live in. For instance, he walked in, in sorrow, just as you and I walk in sorrow. In the 26th chapter, the 36th to the 38th verses of Matthew, we find these words. Then Jesus, with his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You notice this? My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death with sorrow. 
Jesus had sorrow in his life just like you and I do. He also experienced a natural growth. He was not some kind of a monster. He was a young, he was a born a baby, a man, even though he was the son of God, and he grew up like any other man does. In Luke 2, 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus got hungry, just like you and I do. In Luke 4, 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. When for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Notice he was hungry, just like you and I are. But he didn't yield to that hunger. Why was that? He did not yield to Satan's temptations in regard to that hunger. He didn't turn those stones into bread. Where did his power come from? came from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And you can put your own name in there, whatever that is. Jack, full of the Holy Spirit, can resist temptation just like Jesus did. The man Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus required sleep, just like anybody else does. Jesus and his disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. The 8th chapter of Luke, the 23rd verse, and as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Jesus was not wealthy. He, in fact, is he was poverty-ridden, especially when he went on on his ministry. I presume that while he was doing his carpentry work, he had enough money to get by on, like most people do. But he went out on his ministry uh, this three years of ministry in which he preached and taught the kingdom of God, then he was broke. He did have some money, but not anything in excess, because we do know they did have a treasury. He did say to this young man who wanted to go with him, in Luke, the ninth chapter, the 58th verse, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus had a physical body that hurt and ached and acted just like yours and mine do. In Luke, the 24th chapter, the 37th and the 39th verses, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Finally, as we look at Jesus as a man, human being, as well as God's son, we find that he got weary, just like you and I do. At Jacob's well, uh, he had a conversation with a lady, but he didn't stop for that conversation. He stopped to get a drink and to rest. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
So Jesus didn't walk in any manner that you and I cannot walk in, that we cannot live. Well, how did he walk? How did he live his life? Well, let's look in the scriptures and see how he did live. The Bible tells us that he lived his entire life to the glory of God. John 8, 50. I seek not my own glory. He's talking to his disciples here. Every thought, every act was to glorify God. Remember these words from his wonderful prayer in the 17th chapter of John? Jesus has been speaking to his disciples. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And now in chapter 17, 1 through 5, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you for the world began. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. This sounds like he's seeking self-glory, doesn't it? But he isn't. For quickly, he says, that the Son may glorify you. Shouldn't this be our prayer? If we're going to walk as Jesus walked. And it can be. I seek not my own glory, Heavenly Father. I want to live my entire life to the glory of you. That I might glorify your name. Jesus' death was to bring glory to God. In John 12, 27 and 28, Jesus is speaking to the Father. said, Now my heart's troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Thinking of the cross, of course. No, he says, I'm not going to say that. For it was from this hour, for this very reason, that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He's really saying, take me and use me to die on behalf of all sinners, that your name might be glorified. Our answered prayer is to bring glory to God also. In John 14, 13 to 14, Jesus says, and he says this to you and me, if we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Remember this now. Jesus is talking to the people of God. The New Testament, the letters are written to the church. Jesus is talking in his own lifetime to God's people, the Hebrews. 
he says to his disciples, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Notice that? He'll do it. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you've been born again, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're in the Spirit, if you're in the fruit-reproducing business, if you're doing the works of Jesus Christ, if you want to live as Jesus lived, then Jesus says, ask me for whatever you need, and I will take care of that for you. Keep in mind now what we're talking about. We're talking about living as Jesus lived. And we said that Jesus lived his entire life for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. And we find this in Philippians 2, 6-8, and this is what he said about Jesus. He said, your attitude, speaking to the Philippian church there, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here we are, walking as Jesus walked. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thus, as Jesus gave up his own heavenly glory and died there on the cross, and that was a hideous death, there he was naked, hung up before the whole world, crucified like a criminal of the state, which would be uh, similar to being hanged or shot by a firing squad or electrocuted by the U.S. government, in our case, experiencing this to bring greater glory to the Father. Now let's ask ourselves these questions. Am I living to the glory of God? Does my daily walk glorify God? If you can say, positively yes to this, then we should be shouting hallelujah. And you should be shouting hallelujah. You ought to be dancing around on the tables or anyplace else. That you know that your life is bringing glory to God. If it's negative, if you know your life is not bringing glory to God, then you ought to do something about that. And you can Well, let's do a little testing and see how we're doing in this business of bringing glory to God through our lives. Let's look at John 15, 7 and 8, and see what it says. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is, my, is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, Showing yourself to be my disciple. Notice that? Fruit bearing. Ask yourself the question now. Is my life bearing fruit for Jesus? Am I being used 
in the reproduction business. The reproduction of people just like Jesus. Not just like me, but just like Jesus. So that's one area. Take a look at it. Are you doing any witnessing by your, both your words and your deeds whereby people are coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior? Is your life reproducing other Christians? Well, let's take another <clears throat> look at the scriptures here. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Now, remember what we're doing. We're taking a little test here to see how we're doing in this business of glorifying God with our lives or walking as Jesus walked to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality, Paul says. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Ask yourself the question, am I really honoring God with my body? The things that I do and the things that I say with my body, not just in regard to uh, sex, interpersonal sexual relations with other people, but my whole body, when they see me, do they think of God? Do they think of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does my body bring glory to God? If it doesn't, then I need to be doing something, don't I? If it does, then I need to keep right on doing what I'm doing, only speed it up a little bit. Now, we're talking about living or walking as Jesus walked. Let's take another little test. Look at Romans 15, 5 to 9. Paul speaking to the church at Rome. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God. In spite of what Paul says here to the church at Rome, how do you measure up? When you're around, is there a spirit of love and unity and harmony and, and grace in the church? Are people just simply glad to see you when you come to the fellowship? Do they look? Are you accepting of others and generous in your attitude toward others? Speaking of being generous, Paul says to the church at Corinth, as we continue to look here at this little test on whether or not our lives are glorifying God, in the second the book of Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the twelfth and the thirteenth verses, Paul talks about 
uh, giving to those who are in service to the Lord. <clears throat> he says, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, <clears throat> shouldn't we have it all the more? Then he goes on to say, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their fruit from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? Are you giving generously to your local church? <clears throat> Perhaps others who are proclaiming the gospel? Remember what we're talking about here now. We're talking about glorifying God with our lives. And certainly helping others to get this message out is of great importance. And you begin, of course, right there in your local church. The local church, the local body, is our first line of offense in proclaiming the gospel and storming the gates of hell. Let's look at one other area for testing. We're testing to see how we're doing in this area of glorifying God with our lives. Jesus says, my whole life I give to glorify the Heavenly Father. Peter speaks about this. He talks about a quality of life <clears throat> that the Christian is to have. He said, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Why don't you put your own name in there like, Dear Jack, I urge you as an alien and a stranger in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Peter's talking about people watching us and seeing Christ in us to the point where they give credit to God, glorify God. I've often thought about that this way. <clears throat> you know, uh, a painter usually puts someplace on his painting his initials or his name or something to identify it. <laughs> I've thought about this way. Wouldn't it be fantastic if as the saints go marching in before the throne of the Lord Jesus someday that someplace <clears throat> on this particular person there would be your initials just on there someplace, not uh, ridiculously <laughs> apparent, just a touch. And you could say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, this is my person. I so live before him or before her that she saw you in me or he saw you in me and wanted you. I present so-and-so to you now. Hallelujah, huh? Don't you think we could do that? You think that's really being egotistical? I don't think so. Listen to what he says. 
Jack, as an alien and a stranger in the world, I want you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And I'm to do that. I abstain from them. I don't think about them. I don't do them. I want you to live such a good life among those that you work with, that you live with, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they may, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So I don't think we're asking too much there. I think we could do that. How about you? Peter goes on to speak of another area here in the fourth chapter, the 16th verse. He's talking about suffering for being a Christian. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So you see, friends, here's a little test for us to see whether or not we're really glorifying God with our lives. Is my life a fruit-bearing life? Do I reproduce other Christians? Do I glorify God with my body? Is my body really, truly treated like a temple of the Holy Spirit? the home of the Holy Spirit, the home where God lives. Do I bring unity and harmony within the body of Christ? Or am I a dissenting factor uh, that I bring dissension and, and unrest wherever I go? Do I give generously to the local congregation? Do I give generously to those who ask for it? Do I give generously on behalf of those who are proclaiming the message? Do I have that quality of life that when people, people see me, they see Jesus and they want to be like him? On the other hand, when the world sees me, do they sometimes want to persecute me because they can't stand the love? How are you coming out on this by now? Are you walking as Jesus walked? If you're saying, well, I'm not doing so well. There are two or three of these areas, but I'm just not making it. Why don't you do this then? Why don't you just say, Heavenly Father, I'm not bearing fruit. My life really isn't glorifying you. I'm not a unifying factor. I'm just measuring up. I'm just not walking as Jesus walked. And Father, I call that sin. And I'm sorry for that sin. And I'm turning from that kind of life right now. I want my life to bring glory to you as long as I'm here on earth. So I'm confessing that it's not doing it. I'm asking you, Father, to give me the strength and the desire and the will to glorify you in my body. As people watch me, they'll want to be just like you, Father. They'll be reminded of you, and they'll want you through Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. 
and then just say, Father, I thank you for the power, and begin to live in that power. That's not so bad, is it? Why don't you just try it right now? And God bless you as you do. Amen. We're talking here about walking as Jesus walked. And we're looking in the Bible to see how I did walk. So that we can see whether or not we're walking that way. Now I'm assuming that as you listen to this tape, that that's really what you want to do. You'd like to walk as Jesus walked. Because that's the best way to walk. As we look in the Gospels, and that's the place to see where Jesus walked. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible goes on to tell us that not only did Jesus live his entire life to glorify God, but it also tells us that Jesus walked in wholehearted surrender to the will of God, and he delighted in doing that will. He walked in surrender to God's will, and he delighted in doing it. Jesus was not gritting his teeth. He was not arguing with the Father. He was happy to do what the Heavenly Father asked him to do. In John 8, 29, Jesus says, I do always, notice that word always, isn't it something the way the Bible uses words like always and never and and all and every, these all-inclusive words. Jesus says, I do always the things that are pleasing to him. And on another occasion, John 4, 34, he told his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We find this last statement by Jesus in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, John 4, 1 through 42. You might want to read that sometime, but we're concerned mainly with this thought of my food. Think about that a moment. And the, that which sustains me is doing the will of him who sent me and to accomplish uh, his work. In this, further on in this chapter, Jesus and his disciples were stopped at a well in Samaria. Jesus was tired, and he rested there. He sent his disciples into town for food. And a woman who was living in sin came along And Jesus was overjoyed at the opportunity to do his father's work. And this, of course, is his father's work. Step by step, Jesus led this lady to salvation. And as he was doing this, he completely forgot about his hunger and tiredness. Now notice what the work of Jesus was. His work was to lead this lady to salvation. And I'm saying to you that if we walk as Jesus walked, this will be our work too. 
Anyway, we hear Jesus say to the disciples when they get back from town, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is really all that the Lord Jesus Christ asked of life. He didn't ask anything more. All he wanted to do was God's will. Now let's look at our own lives here for just a moment. Are we walking in God's will? When you know what God's will is for your life, do you do it? Are you delighting in that? Are you asking nothing more from God except just to be in His will and to do His will? Or do you find that doing what God asks you to do, do you find it a drudgery? Do you find yourself arguing, questioning, picking and choosing, for instance, uh, the things of the Scriptures? Uh, are you arguing when you should be turning the other cheek? Are you red-penciling out such statements as you are the light of the world? So be the light of the world. Are you with me on this now? Are you willing to do what God wants you to do regardless of the circumstances? Jesus was. <clears throat> Jesus says, this, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. Notice this obedience here by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then again in John 15, 10, he says to his disciples, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. You know, there's a thing he says here about remaining in his love. And we can take a test here as to whether or not we remain in his love and whether or not we stay in, in love with him. It has to do with obeying what he asked us to do. Well, where do we find out what he asked us to do? We find out from a number of sources. One is the Bible, of course. That's the best source. Secondly, we find out in prayer, when that still small voice says, turn to the right or turn to the left. Now, only you recognize that voice on many occasions because it's the way God speaks to you. Sometimes it occurs through circumstances. You look at the circumstance. For instance, in the story of the Good Samaritan, The man who was the brother, who was the good neighbor, was the man who saw the injured person in the ditch and stopped. When you and I see in circumstances needs that we can meet, then we take time out from whatever we may be doing and meet that need. Remember how Jesus stopped for the blind man? Now he's only a few hours away from saving the whole world on the cross. He's in Jericho, and Jericho is not very far.
from Jerusalem. The blind man yelled out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and gave him all his attention. Right there. So Jesus had time there, didn't he? Disobedience to God's word, as we read it, as we hear it from that still small voice, as we hear it through our friends and relatives who are in the spirit, as we see it in circumstances, is essential if we're going to walk with and in Christ, or if we're going to walk as Jesus walked. Let's look at some scriptural evidence for that. The necessity of the obedient walk with Jesus. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 24th to the 27th verses, we find that this is really the rock of our character. In this passage, Jesus is talking about wise and foolish builders. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, notice the conditions, here's what Jesus says and does it. That person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had foundations, its foundation on the rock. He's talking here about the storms of life coming into our lives, and they're going to come. And he says if we'll build our foundation on him, then our lives won't fall. They'll be built on a rock, and we'll get through. Not just limp through, but gloriously come through. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice the difference in these two men. One of them did what Jesus told him to do. The other did not. One is likened to building your house on a rock. The other is likened to building your house on the sand. The rain came down. The troubles came in. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus says <clears throat> that if we're going to walk as he walked, we have to listen to what he says and do what he says. And if we do that, our lives will be steady and strong. If we don't do what he says to do, then we'll be vacillating, we'll be teetering and tottering, and eventually we'll just go over. Jesus also says that if we expect to be in God's family and remain in God's family, then we must be in obedience to what he said. In this passage, Matthew 12, 46 and 48, Jesus is talking about who his real mother and his real brothers are. And this is interesting. Because it doesn't have anything to do with blood relatives, but it has everything to do with the children of God. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. These are his blood relatives. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But Jesus replied, 
who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my brother, my brothers and my mother. Now they're not his blood brothers and mother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and brother. That is mother. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Notice that? It behooves you and me to know what God says right here in the scriptures. For whoever does what God tells them to do here in the scriptures, or through prayer, or through circumstances, or however they hear it, is considered by Jesus as his brother, or sister, or mother. All right? We're talking from a spiritual standpoint here. Remember, the Bible is a spirit book. How are you coming in this area of doing the will of God? Now, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I do always the things that are pleasing to him. My food or my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he says here, that the base rock of character is himself. He says also that if we want to be a member of the family of God, that we must do his Father's will. Let's move on to this just a minute. We're talking here about the necessity of obedience in this walking as Jesus walked. The necessity of obedience to the Heavenly Father. We have another instance here of the necessity of obedience to the Word of God. When Jesus talks about the acquisition of spiritual knowledge, in John 7, 16 to 18, you find these words. Jesus answered, well, let's back up a little bit and go to 14, 7, 14. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed, <clears throat> and they asked him, they asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? And Jesus answered, <clears throat> my teaching, not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. There's something very apparent here, it seems to me. Jesus is saying to you and me, if you really want to know God's will, if you're really interested, you can find out. 
And you can find out right here in the Bible. And when you find out, you have the true knowledge from God. Not becomes a matter of you and my, you and my of putting that knowledge into practice, walking as Jesus walked. But if we want, really want to know what God wants us to do and to be, we find it right here in the scriptures. And obedience to what God tells us to do is one of the keys of walking as Jesus walked. For Jesus says, that's what I do, is what the Heavenly Father asked me to do. He says, I know what it is, and I do that. Well, how are you coming on this little test of, of obedience to God's will? Do you have your life based or founded on Jesus Christ? Is he the rock foundation of your life? Or have you built your life on something else? Maybe Jesus plus something. Or when you get right down to it, maybe not even Jesus at all just some figment of your imagination, just some idea about Jesus, <clears throat> just some philosophy that has enough of the teaching of Jesus in it to make it look legitimate and Christian, but really not. Are you really in the family of God? Well, how do you know you're in the family of God? Whether or not you do what God tells you to do. Are you obedient to the will of God as you experience it here in the Scriptures? Thirdly, <clears throat> do you know what Jesus says? Is it your desire to know what Jesus says about what God wants us to be? Now, these are tests. There's one other one that has to do with obedience that I want to call your attention to. You find that in John 14, 23 to 24, and of course you realize that these are not the only references that Jesus makes to the necessity of our being obedient to the will of God if we want to walk with him. But anyway, in John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus talks about the way to fellowship with God. Judas has asked Jesus a question. This is the way that question went in the 22nd verse. But Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. <clears throat> now we're talking about walking as Jesus walked. And we've said that obedience to God's word or to the will of God in our lives is an absolute essential if we're going to walk in that direction as Jesus walked. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, there's the condition, if you love me, 
You will obey my teaching. You will do exactly what I tell you to do. Are you doing that? Without argument? Without questioning? Are you just saying, I see that, Lord, and doing it regardless of the consequences? Now he says, if you are, my Father will love you, and we will come to you and make our home with you. Think of that a moment. If you and I are obedient to what Jesus asks us to do, then he and the Father will come and live in and with us. We'll be under the guidance and in the presence of the living God. Think about that a moment. That's a fantastic, mind-blowing thought, isn't it? And the reality of that is even more precious. But on the other hand, listen to this. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now that's pretty plain. <clears throat> and we can test this very simply. Do I desire and do I love to do what Jesus asked me to do, or do I not? Where do I really stand? These words you hear are not my own, he says. They belong to the Father who sent me. Well, friends, in the light of what we've talked about today, are you walking as Jesus walked or not? Are you walking in obedience to his will? And is your life being lived to glorify him? I want you to think about this, and I want you to pray about it very, very seriously. And next month, we'll talk about this again in some other areas of your life. God bless you. I love you. God loves you. Amen. Thank you for listening to another broadcast of Closer to God Today. We hope this message has both blessed and encouraged your walk with the Lord. Please take a moment to visit our website, closertogodtoday.org. That's closertogodtoday.org.